0: Well, praise the Lord. I've been praying a prayer, and Father, I do pray that prayer again, that this message would be very eye-opening and very instructive and and very helpful in navigating the spiritual landmines that we face in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry about that addendum. Uh, I was going to do part two on pornography. I'm going to save that for hopefully next week. I'm still going to do that part two message, but something else was on my heart to deal with. And uh, we cover some of these things, and we covered this on one of our, our live uh, Good Fight radio program. Uh, I'll get more in-depth in, in it in this time, but I felt I've got to deal with it because this is where we need to be dealing with situations in the church, especially when they affect the body of Christ. And, and uh, a pastor's a duty, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 9, is to exhort the brothers and sisters in sound doctrine— But it's it's a requirement if you're going to be a pastor or an elder and also to refute those who oppose sound doctrine, those who are going astray. So we have to do that as well. Uh, And a lot of times churches, pastors are supposed to feed the flock, exhort, right? But they're also shepherds. They have to protect the flock from the wolves. Amen? Amen. So that means they need to be aware of the poison that comes in because we have an enemy, the arch enemy of our soul, Satan, who fights against us through false doctrines and Paul mentions 1 Timothy 4, doctrines of demons and so forth. And sometimes it can be very, very subtle. Sometimes it could be in terms of just, not just doctrine, but behavior. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. He says that the Holy Spirit speaks expressly. The latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That's why at the end of that chapter, in verse 16, Paul says, watch your behavior, or your life, and your doctrine. And in so doing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, you obviously don't save yourself by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, but what he means there is that by continuing in the truth, amen, and continue to follow Jesus, you'll be saved by his grace and inherit final salvation. Now, it's important that we deal with situations as they come up when they really affect the body of Christ. And there's something that's been incredibly disheartening for me lately, uh, has broken my heart. And very deeply at times, I've been praying about it off and on. And that is that we live in a culture, you have to be very aware of what's going on. More and more people are becoming, you know, promoting their homosexuality. It's being paraded not only just on the streets anymore, but mainly through social media and so forth, transgenderism and so forth. So more and more, as this movement grows, and the Bible says it become, Jesus said, like the days of Lot, right? in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it gets worse. More and more Christians are going to be invited to celebrate uh, so-called gay weddings. Two men coming together, you know, two women coming together. And we're going to be invited to these weddings. And the question arises, should we go and give tacit approval as though we we're in agreement and bring gifts and so forth as Christians, you know? And I just want to ask you some questions to begin with. Because what if I, I love my wife, but so this is all hypothetical, and I praise God for her in a myriad of ways all the time. But let's say, you know, one day I woke up and I announced to the church that I just don't feel she's my soulmate. You know, I know she loves Jesus and everything, and, but I just, we just don't connect as much as we used to. And I fell in love with this other girl at church. You know, this young girl in her mid-20s, you know, and, and she loves the Lord a lot, too. And I'm divorcing Lisa, and I want to invite you all to my wedding. Would you come? No? You wouldn't? Would you not come because you're bad at me or don't like me? Or, or would you not come because it's unbiblical? It's unbiblical because I don't have biblical grounds, you know? Well, what if it was more subtle? What if Lisa passed away? And then I said, I wanted you to come to my wedding, but I marry an atheist, who wants nothing to do with Jesus, would you come to that wedding? No, No, why? Because the Bible says not to be unevenly yoked with unbelievers. Now, once you are unevenly yoked, if you are in that marriage, you've got to be faithful to that marriage, right? But you wouldn't go again, amen? You know? So what if my daughter Holly... Man, my whole family, I'm going to owe money, you know? (laughs) What if my daughter Holly, she said, Dad, you know what? Chad and I have four kids. You know, we have a small condo with only two rooms and four of them are in one room, which is true. So uh, don't. I can say pray check gets more money, but don't pray he gets a raise because you know <laughs> I gotta. You know <laughs> uh, anyway, pray to the Lord to bring in the money and however He can do whatever you know. And I you know He He makes decent money. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 we're, I'm pregnant, and we can't afford a fifth baby, so we're, I'm going to have an abortion, Dad. Okay, this is obviously Hollywood never even think like this. And I know, you know, she goes, can you at least go and show up and support me? Because I have a support group that's coming and they're bringing gifts to celebrate the abortion. Because that's actually happening right now. People are celebrating abortions, believe it or not. And they're doing it in the name of Satan and everything. We did a whole show on that. It's sick. It's demonic. Should I go just to support her, having, killing her little baby? No, absolutely not. This seems like a, a no-brainer. Say, Josiah. Now, Josiah, are you get, Josiah, you get more than five bucks for this one. You get like a sushi meal or something, okay? But Josiah comes to me and says, Dad, I want you to come to my transgender party. I'm, I, I, I'm changing my name from Josiah to Joni. And I met this guy at this other church, and I know you would never officiate, but Dad, could you just at least go to my gay wedding and just bring a gift? Should I go to that wedding? He's not going to be there, Joe. Absolutely not. I love you, Josiah, and I'll show you love in a myriad of ways. I'll spend time with you. I'll plead with you. I will camp in your front yard with a sign, please repent, or whatever, you know. I mean, I'll go out of my way to reach you, right? Well, guess what? The opposite type of advice is happening now with regard to gay weddings. And you'd expect that in the so-called liberal churches, okay? Churches that don't adhere to the Bible as the Word of God, you know, deny the virgin birth, Deny the resurrection of Christ, deny the second coming of Christ. You'd expect that. And you'd expect it also with a lot of the secret sense of the churches whose whole goal is to be, you know, big so they don't want to offend anybody. You'd accept that. In fact, you know what? Uh, Pierce Morgan, the famous uh, British interviewer, uh, interviewed Joel, uh, Joel Osteen and his wife about gay marriage, and they said, yeah, it's not biblical, it's wrong. but... That question came up about gay marriages. Let's watch that clip.
1: Law that same-sex marriage is permissible. How would you feel then if it's the law of the land? Well, you know what? I'm going to respect the law, and I'm going to respect gay people like I do now. You know, have plenty of people that come to our church and, and friends, I would call, that are gay, so I'm going to respect that. And all through the Bible, there's you know hundreds of marriages, but none of them are shown as between you know the same sex. And again, I'm not against anything, but I just believe that's what the Bible teaches. Again, I'm not against anything. Victoria, but- what do you think of all this, the, the gay marriage debate? I mean, could you ever imagine attending a gay marriage between two people who come to your church, for example, if they invited you? Would I accept one? Two gay people who attend your church invite you to their wedding. Um... Sure, I would go. You would? Well, I don't, you know, if Job, I had time, could you go? I would. <laughs> if they were friends of mine yeah. and I respect them, I would certainly go. You would watch would. two people you think are sinners committing the ultimate sin? Well, I'm looking at it, well, I don't think it's the ultimate sin, but I'm looking at it from another point of view of respect to that person. And you know, it's, you know, it gets convoluted, but I'm looking at it as respect to that person.
0: Yeah, well, Mark, you just hit that on the nail on the head. And Mark just opined, uh, dis- you're disrespecting God. Well, it's heartbreaking when you hear that. Uh, now, like I said, you'd expect that from Joel, Rich- Joel uh, Osteen, you know, not Joel Richardson. <laughs> he wouldn't teach that. Uh, you'd expect that. And that, came, that was an interview that was done some years ago. But now, a very popular, you know, famous teacher, this is all being dealt with because it's a big uproar right now because most of you guys have heard him. If you listen to Christian Radio, because he gets these you know, uh, basically one of the top radio preachers in the nation, and his name is Alester Begg, and he made similar comments, and they were made, and then he, they replayed those comments, and then after he makes these comments that you're going to hear, then he doubled down, tripled downs and so forth, and defends himself and says he's not going to repent of making these comments, but he gives a scenario, instead of going through the scenario that he paints here, uh, I'll let you hear from him as well. So here's Alester Begg.
1: You and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person and I don't know what to do about this and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago um, and uh, people may not like this answer but I I asked the grandmother does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, mm-hmm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Mm-hmm. Oh, she said, h- 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 what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, Critical, unprepared to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and and don't understand that he is a king.
0: So uh now this is just what's happening within the Christian church right now, the Bible says there would be a great falling away, and there would be an increase of lawlessness, and that it would enter into the church because Paul prophesied that men would be lovers of self, you know, uh, in last days, terrible times would come, and he said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. That's speaking of in the church, you know, and uh, that's where we are right now because uh, there's this, just this, you know, in the name of compassion, we have mass compromise, okay? So Josiah, let's say he says, Dad, I'm not really a Christian, you know. I never really got it. That's not him, obviously. None of that's him, by the way. That's why I can say that about him because that is the farthest from Jojo. I had no idea he was going to wear pink today. Had no, you know, <laughs> that's just a coincidence. I bought, I bought him the shirt. Okay, well, praise the Lord. I, th- that, well, I set you up perfectly then. Woo! For this illustration, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing is wrong with pink. It's kind of reddish anyway. But if it was full-blown pink, you know. <laughs> uh, so, but if now Josiah asked me, he says, "Dad, I'm gonna go get castrated. I'm gonna get take all these hormones, and I'm gonna marry this guy named William or whoever it is. And I want you to call me Joni from now on. Should I do that?" So he doesn't think I'm judgmental. No, no it seems so obvious. And that's why I want to say I praise the Lord, you know, in a big way, though. If this broke my heart when I saw this going on, because I'll drive down the road. I don't purposely listen to Alistair Begg. You know, I differ from a lot of his theology. Uh, he's very Calvinistic. And by the way, my Calvinistic brothers and sisters, they don't have that. They don't share that opinion. I mean, very rare if they do. I'm just saying. In fact, he was American, uh, uh, American radio, uh, family radio uh, basically discontinued his show. It's a big network, right? Uh, he was going to go to the Shepherds Conference, the Calvinistic Shepherd Conference that John MacArthur has every year. And he was going to be one of the keynote speakers. He was disinvited, okay? Uh, and he'll end up calling in another clip. He just basically lambasts. Anyone who disagrees with him is pretty much a Pharisee. And praise God, even pastors on his own staff, it's a pretty big church, he admit disagree with him on this. So pray for them, amen, that they hold their ground and pray for him that he has a change of heart. My heart breaks for that guy because that's a serious thing before God. The Bible says that many of us are not to seek, let not many of you seek to be teachers for you shall incur a stricter judgment in James chapter three, verse one. It's very, very serious. And in Romans sixteen seventeen 17 says, mark those who cause division, not according to sound doctrine, and put obstacles in the way of brothers and avoid them, you know? So uh, this is, what happens is, it's, is we're not called to compromise in the name of compassion, moral truth, and what's right. We're not called to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So uh, we need to ask the question, what is marriage? What is marriage? Go to Matthew chapter 19 and look at verse 4. Matthew chapter 19, and Jesus makes it very clear. By the way, God created Adam and Eve, amen? Amen. The first couple that he made, male and what? Female, and the two would become one. That was the first marriage. The first miracle Jesus performed at a marriage. The last miracle Jesus performs before his second coming, as well as at his second coming, is his wedding to his bride. Think about that. Because this is a big deal before God. He invented marriage it's sacred, it's solemn. It's between a male and a female. We read in verses four and five, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he created them from the beginning? He made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, who? Who's joining them together? God has joined together. Let Let no man separate. Don't you mess with other people's marriages, man. It's a serious thing before God. But don't you redefine it either. And by the way, think about this. If somebody asked me, I'm not going to keep going back to you, Josiah, for the rest of this message. Doesn't mean I won't, not next message or something, but this message, you're done. So I'll be like, okay, that's enough, man. No wonder I said sushi or something, right? (laughs) Uh, By the way, if you know Josiah, he's super thick-skinned. He's like, I'm fine, you know. Although it was funny with the shirt that I bought that for you. (laughs) Uh, But it's interesting Think about it. If two men are getting together at a church to get married, is it a marriage in God's eyes? The whole term of gay marriage is a misnomer. Amen? The state doesn't decide what marriage is before God. The Supreme Court can't really decide what marriage is. God's decided it. God's the one who made us. Amen? And it's important for us to get this. It's important for us to understand this Because the whole term is a misnomer. It's two men getting together. And in his situation with the grandmother calling, he's talking about one of the men was transgender, trying to make himself a female, which happens on the outside a little bit, but you're not a female, right? Your DNA is different. Your chromosomes are different. You're different inwardly. You're still a male. Now, those two men getting together, they're not getting married. You're coming to celebrate two guys celebrating that they're going to be sleeping together for however many years, sexually, okay, which is not biblical and sinful in the sight of God. In fact, the scriptures say, and I think this is important, in Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Deuteronomy 22, five says, a woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on women's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So you're really celebrating. You're going to a celebration, and you're giving a gift, according to Beg, even give them a gift for an abomination. Do you understand that? Well, you're not really participating. Well, yeah, you are, in a way. Because you're going, and the people, when you have weddings, people, a lot of times, they, who's who, right? And if you're related in some way, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, I thought they were a Christian. You're not going to announce, are you, and stand up and say, when they say, uh, Does anybody have any reason that this marriage shouldn't happen? You know, speak now or forever hold your peace. Do you think Beg is expecting her to do that, Grandma? No. And while she remains silent, it's a tacit approval of what's going on. Especially when you give a gift. Oh, the gift. Grandma even gave a gift. To me, this seems so obvious. And I'm like, Lord, am I in some kind of weird movie, man? Because everything is just so quickly fulfilling prophecy as there's this de- degradation of, of marriage taking place, which is really, really heartbreaking. You know, I prayed about this a number of times now, but I prayed, Lord, and this was a little a bit more of an earnest prayer. Where I just before the Lord, sometimes you have those quicker prayers, you're driving or you're doing something and you stop and you know, uh, but this was a prayer where I just started seeking the Lord. Lord, show me in your word, you know, A great example of how we're to treat weddings that aren't biblical. And right after my prayer was done, and I just got up to just whatever, boom, you know the scripture that hit my heart was Matthew 14. Go to Matthew chapter 14. And it's interesting because here you have a brother who Jesus said was the greatest prophet of all the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist. And he didn't go to, it wasn't even a gay wedding. It was a heterosexual wedding, but it wasn't biblical. Because you know what? Herod, King Herod, took his wife, took his brother Philip's wife unbiblically, unlawfully. And look what we read in verse 3. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias. That's the woman, the wife that should not be his wife, the wife of his brother Philip. Notice he's still called, she's still called right there the wife of his brother Philip because God saw her still being married to Philip. That's interesting. Even though Herod had taken her. For John had been say, saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Wow. And that scripture came right in my mind right away. I was like, thank you, Jesus. You know? Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And they went and reported to Jesus. Now, if John the Baptist was enlightened like a Lester Begg, or he was able to talk to a Lester Begg, and a Lester Begg could time travel in some way, do you think a Lester Begg would say, hey, you went about that all wrong. You came off as judgmental. No wonder he took off your head. i would be ticked off too. You know, you should be showing love and not come off as judgmental. And You should have at least, you know, you should have went to the wedding. You should have said, hey, can I just do everything I can to just attend this wedding? You don't have to agree with it. Just, you know, just show up and pretend you agree with it. By the way, that's called hypocrisy, by the way, guys. That's called being fake. It's a fake wedding. You're faking that you approve of it in some way. And then, you know, because you're also sending a gift. And, 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 and John the Baptist you should send a gift to let them know that, you know, you really love Herod and his new wife. No, God didn't look at it as a marriage. So the whole gay wedding is not really, there's no such thing as like a married bachelor, right? There's no such thing as a married bachelor. You can't have a gay wedding because God doesn't recognize such. And the reason this is so serious, and this hurts my heart so much, is the marriage that God, and it should hurt all of our hearts, is when God set up marriage, it's a picture of who? It's a picture of Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom, and the body of Christ, the church, his bride. Amen? And that we, God gave himself for us, Eve, well, the flesh and the bone that was taken out of Eve's side, or Adam's side, was formed into Eve, right? Well, Jesus on the cross... His side was opened up. Blood flowed. And as a result of that, we're birthed, the church, amen? Because of his death for, and just as Adam, he became one. The Bible says with Christ, we are one body with him, amen? He is the head and we are the body of Christ. So it's called the Megumusterion. Paul says it's a great mystery, a, a mega mysterion. And he says, I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So the very thing that's happening in the universe right now revolves about, about, around what God's doing for his son, getting himself a people. Calling people to love God with their whole heart, soul, all their mind, all their strength, and be forgiven. He forgives us, and, he, and just not just being created in His image. Now we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And we're one with Christ. Amen. And the bridegroom would go and prepare a place for his bride in Jesus' day. Amen. Jesus says to his disciples, "You believe in God." He says, "Believe also in me." He says, Don't have, "Let your hearts not be troubled." You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so to tell you so. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also, amen. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, amen. So the whole thing about you know Jesus dying for us, that was a wedding dowry, a picture of him that you had to pay a dowry in those days. Well, Jesus paid for us with his blood, amen. amen. And then he would come, and Jesus says when he comes back, it, there'll be ten, there'll be like ten bridesmaids that are asleep, right? And five wake up and they don't have any oil. And the five that do have oil, they only have enough for themselves. And then they go to meet the bridegroom, amen? Paul calls us the chaste virgin uh, that's been betrothed or engaged to Christ in 2 Corinthians 11. This is all, this is the, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation, this is one of the main threads in Scripture. That's why I've emphasized it so much through the years. My first Christian song that I wrote by myself was called, Behold, the bridegroom cometh after I preached a whole series on, on Jesus being the bridegroom, I was like, Lord, I don't want to leave that series. It's just so precious. I was a new pastor. I got on my knees and cried out to God. I said, Lord, please give me a song that I could just remember how precious you, you are, how precious your son is, how precious this, this relationship was. I got on my knees, and I got up and began to sing to the Lord. Behold, the, you know, I won't, I'll spare you, the bridegroom cometh. You know? And I had a couple of black sisters sing it because I wanted them to just belt it out with a bunch of soul. You know. So if you hear that, you think, I'm singing with a higher voice than normal. That's not me, okay? But that was my whole heart, you know, behind that. And what so-called gay marriage does, it destroys that picture. Instead of God giving himself sacrificially for us to make us one with him forever, it's man turning to man and loving self and the expression of himself in another way. And it's an abomination to God. doesn't produce life. Let's look at our last message. It was part two on adultery. We're doing still with sexual sin lately in the pornography. Pornography next week. That's on Sundays. This message two wesleys in a row. I dealt with adultery, you know, and so forth. It's a serious, serious thing, folks. When we, we need to understand what's going on here. So you're messing with the Mega Musteryon, and and, and, and and when you go to celebrate that or pretend you're celebrating it, right? I mean, how would because you know. He's got to practice what he preaches. So what happens when Lester Begg is asked to go to a gay wedding of somebody? Hey, I'm glad you had that message, Lester, you know. My kid, you've known him for years. He's gay. Can you come to the wedding, please? What does he do? Does he follow his advice? Does he buy the, the two men a gift? Does he buy him a bed? What does he buy them? You know, matching toothbrushes? I mean, what does he buy them? And then when he's there, when... They say, you know, speak up or forever hold your peace. Does he not speak up? Of course he doesn't. He'd be be considered judgmental. He doesn't want to be considered judgmental. When they kiss the two men, which isn't marriage, does he applaud like everybody else or do you sit on his hands and look judgmental? When they do a toast at the reception, does he applaud? You know what I'm saying? It becomes, this is Getting really ugly, guys, and uh, and because he has such an influence, and he influences so many pastors. We're going to see not when Joel Osteen did it. Yeah, expect that that influenced a lot of people because he's got a huge wide net. Now this is a, this is a far more conservative. This is a conservative pastor who uh, has morally had strong, you know, and what we'd agree godly convictions. And uh, it's just amazing to me because then he goes on to give. Uh, just, you know, basically call people Pharisees if they disagree with his position. Let's watch this. Next clip.
1: ...from the world, he says, was a perverted doctrine. The motivation to keep yourself pure and holy is a right motivation. But it was perverted by the way in which they applied it. Instead of seeking to be holy in thought and word and deed while retaining relationships of love and care with all men, they withdrew from social contact with sinners and despised those who didn't follow suit. They basically became a holy club. And they, in the process, became harsh and censorious. Well, the attitude of Jesus is totally at variance with that of the Pharisees themselves. They were scandalized by his free and easy fraternization with these people. You can't do that. You can't go there. That's why it begins. All the the publicans and sinners who say, we got to go meet Jesus. And the Pharisees were grumbling. Can you believe this thing? He goes to the house of publicans and sinners. He meets with sinners. Loved ones, Phariseeism is alive and well in all of our hearts. We have to guard against it. The motivation for purity and holiness of life and circumspection and so on is absolutely unquestionable. The real challenge comes when we are confronted by issues that don't just fit our clean little categories.
0: If I tell I can't use Josiah again. If I have another son named Frankie, right? And I tell Frankie, I love you, but I can't go to this wedding and I can't agree with you getting castrated and I can't agree with you because it's not a wedding and I'm celebrating what the Bible calls an abomination. Right? I have a question for you. Does that make me or you, you're in that situation, does that make you a Pharisee? No, obviously not. Let's say... Uh, he's invited. Now I'll just say my neighbor down the street, you know, says, hey, Joe, I didn't let you know, but I'm married to, you know, two men. It's legal now. And, and I married, we had a three, you know, we're all three married. And we have a gay parade that we set up and we'd love you to be there. We heard your pastor and you guys believe in love and everything and we want you to be there. And I, I can't participate in that. No, no, you don't have to participate. Just come and Watch. And it's customary at our gay parade to throw gifts. So we buy a couple of gifts and throw them out there to us. You know? Am I a Pharisee to say no? Yes or no? No. Are there other ways I could show them love? Absolutely. You know? I show love to the neighbors in the neighborhood I live in right now. You know? I, I, uh, my next door neighbor that I know the best because he's been there the longest along with, with Lisa and I living next to us and his wife. You know, we've We've encouraged them. They've encouraged us. Uh, You know, when I barbecue different times, I bring meat over there. Several times he's brought fish over there because he loves the deep sea fish. He's got a boat, you know. That works out really good. You get fresh fish, you know. But it's a blessing. But I never thought, oh, I'm going to give him some meat, you know, so I can get fish. No, I just love him. And you can love people and reach out to them. Doug prayed at the beginning of his prayer, help us, you know, love people when he was leading worship and at work and sow seeds in their hearts, you know, of the gospel. That's what we're about as a church. Amen. We go and we uh, hang out with people. And when we go witnessing, you know. Uh, There's sunny, sunny. remember we went to the Philippines and we, we had all those games with all these non-believers and we tried to lead them to Jesus and became their friends. We go to Mexico or Costa Rica and we invite people to soccer games. People who don't know, non-believers show up and we witness to them, amen? So the Pharisees were so strict that they would not even talk to Gentiles, okay? Do you understand? It's a huge difference. And they were thought they were holier than thou. And they were supposed to be, according to Isaiah, a light to the Gentiles but they weren't a light to the Gentiles, amen? So we're all about loving people. We should all be reaching out to the LGBTQ community in love with the love of Christ, amen? With the gospel of Jesus. Remembering that we came out of darkness too. And such were some of us. We were either fornicators or adulterers or effeminate or homosexuals or thieves or murderers or extortioners. Or, and you go through the list. And if you're not on the list of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just read the list in Galatians chapter 5, 19-21, through 21, where there's 22 other things. And if you're not on that list, then Paul says anything like this, then you're on another list, you know? So we're all sinners that need the grace of God, amen? So we need to love people that are caught up in whether it's heterosexual adultery or fornication or homosexuality, Amen. We, can't, we don't want to say, oh, that person's this. That's like, no, we're all sinners that need the grace of God to be saved. Amen. amen. So, but you can love people, amen, amen, without celebrating and condoning or making it look as though you tacitly approve of that which is an abomination before God. Amen. amen? So, and he gives a couple examples there. He did, you, don't, you don't play the whole clip, it would just take too long. But he he talks about the Samaritan woman. Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. We've talked about that a lot, amen? And how awesome it was that he reached out to her. And the the Jews didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans, amen? And Jesus said when he gave the commission to go out to all the world, he said, go to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, amen? And he upended the whole way the Pharisees thought, right? With the story of the good Samaritan, amen? I've taught against Pharisaism for years. But at the same time, guess what we also teach? Biblical, biblical guidelines, Amen? New Testament is not legalistic. Amen. We go by the word of God. When Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, he wasn't playing footsies with her. Okay. He wasn't getting drunk and hanging out with her. In fact, he said to her by the power of the Holy Spirit that he perceived, you know, that he knew that she had had five husbands. And she's in the heat of the day when you don't go for water. And most background commentaries will point out it's probably because she was shunned in Samaria as a loose woman because of the time that she was there. And he says, I know that you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now, you're not even married to. And it convicted her to realize she was a sinner. And she needed grace, amen. And she put her faith in Christ for salvation. Then she went back in the town and said, this man told me everything about myself. Come in and hear him. And others came and they believed in him and put their trust in him, amen. He confronted her sin. When he dealt with a prostitute, right, He was caught in adultery, he said, he didn't say, well, go and don't worry about your sin. No, he said, go. And he had directed her and sin what? No more. no more. The guy that was paralyzed for 38 years, he healed him and he says to him, you know what he said to him? He says, go, he goes, and, and, and he says, and to him, he said, turn from your sin too, right? Go and sin no more. He said, lest something worse come upon you. Worse than 38 years of paralysis? Yeah, ultimately it's called hell. That's the love of God. He still spoke truth into their lives, amen? And my neighbor, who I love, is just an awesome, neat guy, uh, but when the crisis was happening on October 7th and, and Israel was just being bombarded by Hamas, you know, we were talking, and uh, we got teary together more than once. And I just opened him up my heart. He opened up his heart because he's Jewish, and Israel's being attacked, and he's seen all this hatred from, you know, the universities, the Ivy school leaves, He's like, what's going on? It's like the Holocaust has started all over again. It looks like it was a pretty freaky time, right? And I let him know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was able to share the gospel with him, you know? And I said, if things get really ugly and violent, I said, if you don't have any guns... Come over to my house, okay? And we'll protect you here the best we can. Amen? Amen. We don't have a lot of guns, but man, when Lisa is upset, woo, <laughs> man! But he also kept he brought up and he emphasized Jesus fraternized with sinners. Yeah, but do you think he was getting drunk? No, because Jesus says woe to the one in the Old Testament which he inspired who gets his neighbor drunk, right? Uh, do you think he was doing ungodly things? Absolutely not. In fact, uh, he points out, and and people, yeah, well, Jesus, you know, he talked to Matthew when he called Matthew. Matthew was a tax gatherer. The Pharisees wanted nothing to do with tax gatherers. And he, and they point out, hey, Jesus hung out with these sinners. He he hung out with Matthew, you know, the tax gatherer. And then Matthew had his friends come over because they wanted to see who this Jesus was because Matthew stopped being a tax gatherer. And that was worse than the IRS, by the way, you guys, okay, in those days. Because a lot of times they were Jews who worked for the Romans, and they knew everybody, and they would squeeze extra money out of them to make more money. And they were hated by the other Jews. And Jesus reached out to Matthew, just like he reached out to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus repented, amen? I'll pay back four times whatever I've taken, if I've taken anything. Well, what happens with Matthew? His friends come by. Check this out. It's a trip. Go to Luke chapter 5. By the way, I'll read Mark 2.15 while you're going to Luke 5. It says, And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Isn't that interesting? Now, when you go to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 27. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector. This is Luke's uh, telling of what happened. Named Levi, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Look at verse 29. And Levi, began, uh, Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their, their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are what? Sick. Verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but who? But sinners to what? Repentance. Was he there to party with them? And and go after women and cheat people? If they said, hey, we're having an award for the best tax guy in the Roman Empire who's made the most money by squeezing people. And we're inviting you, Jesus. You don't have to participate. Just come and bring a gift. He wouldn't be doing that, okay? But he would be preaching repentance to them, amen? And that's what he did. And I hear people use this all the time as an excuse to go, to you know, do different things, you know? Whether it's, I haven't heard them say strip clubs, but things that are not pleasing to God, you know? Well, Jesus hung out with sinners. I can get drunk. You know, that's not what it's talking about. And it's interesting, the very example he uses, is an example when Jesus was preaching what? Repentance. Are you with me today? Now, it's just amazing because uh, the whole thing about, you know, what love is and so forth. We have to make sure that we're obeying the Lord above everyone else. And what's the greatest of the commandments? To To love family above Jesus? Yes or no? No, to love him first. The greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12, verse 39 to 40, Jesus says, when he's asked what's the greatest commandment, he says, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the great Shema of Israel. uh, The Lord thy God is one God. Amen? And Shema means to hear in Hebrew. Hear that he's the one God. And then he gave the greatest commandment. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. This is in Mark. All thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. And the second one is like unto it shall love your neighbors yourself. But he says, of the first commandment, he says, this is the greatest commandment. I have to put the Lord before my family. Amen. Now, when I first became a Christian, I was really green spiritually, but I loved Jesus. He saw my heart, and I was going for him with all my heart. And you can ask, all my, you can ask my sister, Kathy. Uh, where's Kathy today? She? Oh, she's in the nursery. Okay, putting God before me. That's good, you know? <laughs> Uh, Kathy, uh, Peggy, Patty, Tom, my mom, my dad and say who was first in Joe's life and who is now but who was first when he first got saved? They all say Jesus because man, I was, it's all about Jesus and I'm going to follow him the cross before me, the world behind me though no one, no one will follow still I will, go, I will follow, amen though none go with me still I will follow, amen? amen and they knew that and guess what? Did that mean I never associated with him anymore? didn't love them. No, I worked on them. I prayed for them. I still spent time with them. You know, if I'd go out with my friends and I'd start working on my friends and who were close to, some of them knew my family pretty well. All of them did, really. And, you know, I tried to hang out a little bit, but guess what, man? I'd be like, we'd be going to La We'd be diving off the, like I did before, when I was 16, 17. I just turned 18, got saved. And we'd be jumping off the big rocks and they'd be blasting Black Sabbath. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of feel out of it here. And then one of my friends my brother Tom told him, he goes, he has a hard time because he has a hard time because he loves, you know, he loves Black Sabbath so much, you know. And in fact, Mike Johnson, he wrote the, uh, my family, or my soul, that song with me. And he goes, having a hard time because, you know, he feels guilty listening to his music now. And, you know, it was like oil and water. But I wasn't like, hey, let's blast back Black Sabbath. I would feel uncomfortable. And eventually I had to pull myself away, but I continued to minister to them, continued to encourage them. And one by one, I was able to see my three closest friends and all seven of my family members one by one come to Jesus. Okay? Now if I would have said, hey, you know what? Let's uh let's 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 smoke pot together, let's get drunk together, they would think I wasn't judgmental, but they'd also think I'm a hypocrite. And that's what I would be at that point, you know? So we need to the Bible says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of mind your mind, right? And then it says, This is by this you will prove the perfect will of God. You show people God's will by not participating in the world and becoming more of a thermostat than a thermometer. Thermostat influences the atmosphere. Thermostat, thermometer takes on the atmosphere. We're not supposed to be conformed to the world. We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? Amen. So it's important if I'm going to a gay wedding and I'm bringing a gift, am I obeying the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 that says, abstain from all appearance of evil? No, I'm not. And what about love? What about love? We have to love God first. Amen. We have, by far. It's not, not like he's first and your family's a really close, tight second. No. It's so, you got to just, he's first no matter what. It's not negotiable. In fact, Jesus said in John, and how, what does that love look like? Listen to some of these verses. Jesus said in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In John chapter 15, verse 10, just after Jesus talked about he's a vine, and we're the branches, and we're to abide in him, we'll be cut off, thrown in the fire, and burned if we don't abide. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And in 1 John 5, 3, it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, you know what his commandments, if I really love him and it shouldn't be a burden, is to put Jesus first. I realized when I got saved, you're my maker. This is your word. What you says, go. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And anything, when I obey your word, I know I'll be blessed and I'll be a blessing. If I try to think I know better than you, God, and compromise his word, and start thinking, you know what? I know you say this, but I'm going to do that. Who am I to think that that's, uh, you know what? I don't want to talk about Jesus, and I'm not going to go to church all the time. I don't want people to think I'm a fanatic, you know? And, you know, uh, and plus, they're, they're saying, man, Joe, poor Joe's got to wake up Sunday morning and go to church. They're clueless as how wonderful that was for me until they got saved. But look, what scriptures do I got to obey? Listen to Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 12, verse 46. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What in the world did you just read? There it is. Black and white. If anyone comes after me, uh, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, he's not worthy of me. Does he mean literally hate them? No, because Jesus says husbands, his word says love your what? Wives. Amen. His word says, honor your parents. And Jesus expounded on that in the gospels. Okay. Well, is there a contradiction? No. What's he saying? He's saying that your love for, your, for the one true God and obedience to that great commandment should be so powerful, right? right? That your relationship with your family in comparison to that, there's a huge chasm where you don't compromise you, your love is so staunch, so dedicated. You're loyal to Him because of your love for Him that you don't even countenance. It looks like hate compared to the love of Him when they want you to do something contrary to His will. You're really saying He means love more? Yeah, because that's what He said. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, He said, Think that, not that I've come to bring peace in the world, but I've come to bring a sword. And a man's foes or enemies shall be they of their own household. And mother shall be against daughter, and mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And you know I he said in verse 36? If you love your father or your mother or you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Because that's idolatry. And that's the most repeated sin throughout the Bible is idolatry, putting anything before God. I can't put my wife before God. I can't put my children before God. And by the way, by not by putting God first and not putting my children or uh, somebody else before God, that's the best way I could love my family. Do you understand that? Because if I put them first before God, I'm committing idolatry, I'm not being used by the Holy Spirit, I'm under God's judgment. And I'm not going to be leading them to heaven, amen? But if I'm putting God first, amen, and his word first and obeying it, then I'm a signpost to heaven. I'm a signpost to Jesus. Christ's life is duplicated in me. The life of Christ is manifested through me as I put him first, amen? And they get to see the love and the life of Christ in my life. And my family knew I loved them. But if my family members back then, they all just said, hey, we're, gonna, we're gay now. Joe, you're gonna come to the gay parade and cheer us on. I'm not gay. Well, just come and just cheer us on. I would be patting their backs on the way to hell. That would not be love. Amen? Because 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, don't be deceived. Homosexuals not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says that homosexuality is against God's law. Jude talks about how uh, God will judge those who turn grace into license just like he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus said it would be like the days of Lot. I mean, there's all kinds of warnings against not just the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, you know. And it'd be easy for me as a pastor to not have this message right now. You know that, right? I go, the Bible's a big book, I can go anywhere. But I have to be faithful to God and speak to what I believe the Holy Spirit is burning on my heart, to speak to these issues and be faithful to him. And that's how I've been since I was a new believer and that's how I am now, by the grace of God. And I hope by the grace of God, that's who I am to the day I die. Because what happens to El Esther Begg happens to a lot of guys as they get older. If I start saying weird stuff in the end, you need to come to me quick, say, Joe, that doesn't match what you've been preaching all these years. You said it would be terrible if so-and-so got a name change and you're gonna change your name, that'd be really messed up, right? God forbid. I mean, it's not my heart at all, obviously. So we have to love God. When he's talking about, you know, we need to be loving. Yeah, you need to love God first, amen. When you love God first, you don't even countenance the idea of giving the approval of sin. In fact, go to First Corinthians chapter 13 because it defines what love is. And I wanted to talk about love, and this really hit me hard. This hit me so hard this morning because I was thinking and meditating on this verse and I, th- and I really believe the Lord led me in this because I was like thinking of the scripture when I woke up early this morning, a couple hours before I got up, I was just seeking him in bed and crying out to him and different things were on my heart and I got up and I had a- another two hours or so before I to leave and I was like, okay, I got plenty of time and I'm gonna see if what is on my heart and some of the things that were on my heart, like that's when I was praying about the scenarios, starting my message off with certain scenarios, you know, Uh, That would be unbiblical and that you'd be very aware they're unbiblical to show you that's what they're doing, you know? And then number two is what love really is, and to emphasize that more. And I had some stuff worked out already for my message, but the scripture that I was going to share is the scripture I want to share with you now. In 1 Corinthians 13, he defines what love is. But he tells us what love doesn't do and what it does do in verse 6. Love doesn't what? Doesn't what? Say it out loud doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, doesn't rejoice in evil. Amen? And I thought, I, so I thought about that word when I was thinking about it this morning. I thought, I bet that word rejoice. there. I wasn't sure. I said, I'm going to check it out in the Greek, but I bet it also could be translated celebrate. Does not celebrate unrighteousness and I looked at one of the more popular, uh, so some translations, it d- does not rejoice uh, in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, does not uh, re- uh, re- uh, delight in evil, does not uh, you know rejoice in uh, unrighteousness and so forth. But it's interesting. I looked up the Greek word, and I'm like, oh, that's a common Greek word. It's Cairo. Cairo. C-H-A-I-R-O is how you say it in English. And as I looked at Cairo, I thought, I looked at a very pop- one of the more popular Greek uh, uh, Greek help books in uh, Cairo means to be glad, to rejoice, to exult, to celebrate. And it's interesting. I started looking at different ways it was translated in the New Testament. And guess how it's translated in Luke chapter 15, verse 32. When the prodigal son's father, the prodigal, prodigal son's father is rejoicing in his heart because the son's coming back, but he's celebrating. You know what It says, if you go to Luke 15, you can. Go to chapter 15 of Luke and go to verse 32. Now, that Greek word in chapter 13, verse 6, when God is defining what love is for us, love does not what? Rejoice in evil, right? Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Does not rejoice in wrongdoing. That word is what? What's that Greek word? Okay, kairos. Okay, it's kairos. It's now, guess what word is used in chapter 15, verse 32? Kairos. And look how it's translated. Same translation NASB. But we had to what? Celebrate Cairo and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. His father didn't rejoice that he was sleeping with the pigs. Right? He didn't rejoice that he backslid, but he rejoiced that he came back from sin. Amen? And he was celebrating that reality. Amen? That's a beautiful thing. He was celebrating it. Amen? Love does not celebrate gay weddings. When Alastair Begg says, this is how we show love and we build bridges. No, this is how you don't show love and you don't show love for God who you're supposed to love the most. And his problem is he's putting his love for, quote unquote love for people above his love for God here. Do you understand that? And if you really love the people, You go the extra mile to let them know you love them by not showing up but then going the extra mile to show them that you love them in other ways. Amen? And I've I've had to do that at times. I've had to... There's weddings I could not go to. There's weddings I could not officiate. I have to make sure biblically when I do premarital counseling, do you love each other? Because the Bible says you have to love each other if I'm going to marry you. Three different people through marriage counseling decided they didn't love the other person. I couldn't marry them. Are you biblically both Christians Paul said that he had the right to take a believing wife like Peter did. You can marry whoever you wish, 1 Corinthians 7, in the Lord, right? Not to be unevenly yoked together. So I make sure you're both. Are you both professing Christians that love Jesus? They're both yes. I'm like, okay, you've you got to pass too. I start off, if, you, if I've done your premarital counsel, I say three things you've got to get by, three hurdles. And they always get glossy. I'm like, uh-oh. And I go, you know, go through all three. And I go, don't worry. If I know I'm really good, I'll say, I think you pretty much got it. Sometimes I'll like, you know. I don't know him as well. Are you both believers? Love Jesus? Yes, that's two for two. Number three, are you still married? What do you mean am I still married? The only reason I can't marry you is if you're married to someone else. And what's an unbiblical marriage if you're married to someone else? If I left Lisa, my first example, right, or one of my early examples, and I don't have grounds because I just don't want to be with her anymore because I want to marry someone else. That's not grounds. Right. Just like Herod was still considered married, or Herod's wife Herodias was still considered married to Philip. Because my wife and I, we don't have grounds and I marry someone else. God, isn't, God sees me married to her. That's why Jesus says it's adultery. If you marry another woman, except in the case of adultery, right, or sexual sin, he says, you commit adultery, amen? So if there's not a termination in married and they haven't moved on and somebody's not with somebody else and there's this person waiting for that person to come back and they haven't had grounds and, they, and that person's like, I didn't do anything, I'm waiting for them to come back. I say, I can't marry you. That's not resolved. There's been a number of people I haven't been able to marry. There's been marriages that I've had to deal with in this fellowship where I've seen people, I said, hey, you can't do that. You don't have grounds, you know? It's happened more than once. And I can't marry them. And I don't go to the weddings. And I don't think you should go to a wedding if someone's still married to someone else. And some of you right now are like, thinking, yeah, I definitely wouldn't go to a gay wedding. But you know what? Oh, I love that person. I don't want to make them feel bad. I'm going to go anyway. You're doing the same thing Elster Begg is saying with the gay weddings. If it's not a biblical marriage, do you understand? Well, what if they could prove it's biblical? And I can see biblically, yeah, that that person did cheat on them or that person did remarry or what have you. That person left them and they're a non-believer. Well, then it's biblical. If a non-believer leaves you not bound, then it's biblical. But make sure it's biblical, amen? Because there's different reasons. There are certain weddings I could go to certain weddings I can't go to. I can go to a wedding of two believers. Easy, amen? I could go to a wedding of two non-believers because when two non-believers get married, do we consider them married or not in God's eyes? Yeah, Okay, there's all kinds of people. We treat them as married, right? And, but a married, a believer not having a biblical divorce and the person's waiting for them to come back? No, I can't go to that. Or a person that's saying I'm going to marry a non-believer? I can't go to that. So, you know, we're not picking and choosing. We're going, what does the Bible say, amen, on all these issues? Are you with me? And that's when you become a Pharisee is when you pick and choose how you feel about things. You have to look at what does the Word of God say, amen, So it's interesting, this word, and this tripped me out. When I looked at the meaning of that word, to rejoice, love does not rejoice or celebrate evil, and yet beg is saying, go to the celebration, letting them know you don't approve, but go to the celebration and give a gift. You're appearing as though you're celebrating it. And you know what else I was tripping out? The word appears uh, probably a handful of times. It's translated greetings. I go, ooh, man. Second John. I wonder if the word greetings is in Second John is the same Greek word Cairo, and in Second John chapter one, listen verses ten and eleven, he's talking about those who don't who come into your fellowship, into your little assembly. You probably their home church, right? And they want to be treated like a brother, but they deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that Jesus came in the flesh. Do not receive him into your house and do not give him a Cairo, a greeting. For the one who gives him a Cairo, a greeting, participates in his evil deeds. Are you with me? So if I have a home fellowship and I treat a brother that's denying and he's not a brother and I treat him like a brother that he's denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and I give him a greeting like he's a brother, I'm participating in his evil deeds. If I go to a wedding, and I Cairo, I rejoice in the evil, or I celebrate it, at, maybe I'm not in my heart, but I pretend I do, by giving a gift, and I'm there. By the way, that's super weak, by the way, guys. That's compromise, man. I'm celebrating Cairo. I'm giving a greeting, greeting everybody that this is an event that is okay with God. It's not. And even if I don't go up there and, and, and officiate the wedding, if I'm at the gay parade, if I'm at whatever... And I'm acting like it's okay, I send the wrong message. And that's not loving. In fact, that's encouraging people in sin. Ezekiel 13:22 says, Because you have supported the false prophets, you supported the wicked person so that he does not turn from his evil way to save his life. Keep in mind the LGBTQ movement is trying to convert us. So when you're in a wedding, just like we talk about, somebody came to church and opening to the gospel, they're talking about grandma. Wow, Grandma says she's against it, but guess what? She showed up. She's softening toward our movement. She even brought a gift. She brought a gift. Yes. whoo! That's a big deal to them. Because they're bringing you over, man. They got you on the bridge. He said, let's create more bridges. Yeah, you got bridges coming from the evil side over to your side, and then bringing you to their side. Now, love, true love, requires rejecting that which is evil instead of God. Amen. And loving the person. Amen? And let them know this is wrong. I love you enough to say this. I can't endorse what you're doing. Amen? Now, 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Do not be partakers of other men's sins. Do not be partakers of other men's sins. (laughs) Ephesians 5.11, our good fight ministry, it's one of the two verses we use the most. Verse 11, Have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, or do not participate in the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather what? expose them. Is that what he was sending grandma to do? No. And then, well, that, how can you witness like that? Well, Paul goes on and said, let the light of Christ shine shine, you, sinners, awake from the dead. Amen. By, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And the Greek word expose in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, is the same word Used of the work of the Holy Spirit when he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Amen. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? Through us, the body of Christ. Amen. Of course we're going to appear judgmental. You know, Jesus' true followers in the end times are persecuted. Why? In Matthew chapter 24, it says, Jesus said, you'll be hated by what? All nations because of my name. They crucified Jesus. You can't get more loving than Jesus. Amen. So, if you speak the truth in love, of course, those who are in sin and darkness are going to consider you judgmental. Amen. Now, if you're judgmental and hypocrite, go away. You're uncaring. You're unloving. Like you're the, remember that, uh, that Baptist group that was a God Hates FAGS group, picketing funerals and people that gave their lives for the country, you know, condemning them, saying that Jesus never died for them and they were reprobated from the beginning of time. They had no choice and they're like spewing out hatred and stuff. That's not Christianity. That's that's those guys are a bunch of Pharisees. We're called to go after people and snatch them out of the fire, risking our own lives on the mission fields. Amen. Risking our own reputations because we love people enough to realize they probably might want to talk to me again because I'm telling about Jesus. That's true love. Love, you know, the Bible warns about the fear of man, and I think it's very important that we get that. Jesus said, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, Luke 6:26. He says, be glad when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. You know, it's just amazing. Romans 14, Blessed is the one who does not contemn himself by what he approves. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it's better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the person through whom the stumbling block comes. We do not want to set an example or give tacit approval to that which is an abomination to God. And Grandma might have told these guys she doesn't agree, but guess what? Everybody else that knows Grandma's a Christian, that's his grandma there, don't get the memo. They think, oh, wow, she approves of this. Okay, and they rejoice in that. Really, really sad. Oh, by the way, go to Romans. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And when you get there, pick it up at verse 24, 26. For this reason, it says, God gave them, that's those who rejected God, over to the creating passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandon the natural function of the women and burn in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. But look what he says about in verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, and by the way, there's millions of people dying every few years of AIDS still, by the way, guys. Though they know they're worthy of death, it says they they not only do the same, look at what it says, but also give what? hearty approval to those who practice them. You can't appear at a gay wedding as though you approve of it. That's the very thing God warns about against, amen? Not just doing it, but presenting yourself as though you approve of it. And by the way, hearty approval right there, that Greek word appears five different times in the New Testament. And one of the times it appears is when Stephen was being stoned to death. And Paul did not participate in the stoning by throwing rocks, but he stood there, and they put their clothes, so they wouldn't get all bloody when they stoned Stephen because his faith to death, and put them at Saul's feet. And it says he was giving hearty approval, or sunudakeo. Sunudakeo means approval. Even though he wasn't doing it, he was there agreeing with it. OK. No, he might later, later say, wow, I was just there, I didn't do anything. No, Paul said he was the chief of sinners because he shouldn't have been there, amen? And he was overseeing this. Really, really heartbreaking. So we don't want to be stumbling blocks and we don't want to fear men. We don't want to, oh, I don't want to get, you know, my son or my daughter or whoever upset if I don't celebrate her abortion or, or his, his, well, Joe, that's different. That's murder. So is homosexuality, guys because it's a death warrant that you bring to the other person. Galatians 1.10 says, "For I am now, If Paul says, if I am now seeking the approval of man, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You want to be a man? Please, or you're not going to be a servant of Jesus, man. You need to make your choice. Amen. First Timothy five twenty says, "And for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear." This has become a public thing, and he's doubling down publicly on it. So we got to deal with it biblically, publicly. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you, all of us, to make sure. We stand fast. We don't give in. Amen. I praise the Lord. We have a ton of people that watch my live stream and are in touch with our Good Fight Ministries. Praise God. You know, and we did a, a shortened version of some of the stuff I'm talking about tonight on our live show. And pray for. We, I pray for you guys to that are listening to my live stream. Get this. Share this with somebody. This message. We covered a lot of good ground, huh? Amen. Yeah. And you guys share it with people. Amen. Mm-hmm. But know what the truth says and dig your feet into the rock of Jesus. And in, in, in ending, you know what I want to read to you? Oh, and by the way, before I end with this, brothers and sisters, I know I've mentioned this two or three times, pray for El Beg, but pray for those who are caught up in these things. Pray for those who are being deceived by this teaching. Pray for those who are caught up in homosexual lifestyles. Amen. And pray that God would give you wisdom by his Holy Spirit that concords with the word of God. Always test what you think is from God by the word of God. Amen. I'll say, oh, I feel led to go and just give him a gift. That's not from the Lord. You can't just go by your feelings. You've got to match everything with the word of God. Amen. And pray for those that are caught up. Guess what? I've counseled a lot of people here. There's ex-people that have been had homosexual experiences, been homosexual in this fellowship, that love Jesus. You'll never know who they are. Such were some of you. Amen. But they know I love them before they came out of it and continue to love them, encourage them, witness to them through the years, different people that I've seen come out of adultery and different things. God is good. That's happening millions of times over throughout the world. And Paul says, Such were some of you. Amen. But you've been, we were washed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. We were justified, made right with God. So whatever you're struggling with, and right now you say, Man, I have some weird feelings. They're not natural. You're being given over to a depraved mind if you just go that route. Say, no, I'm not going to go by weird feelings. I know I'm a male. I know I'm a female. And God, help my mind be restored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And he's faithful to do it. That's good news. And you know what? This word kairos is used one, one other time I want to share with you. It's of another wedding. This is where the wedding that we should be focused on. In Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes back with his mighty angels in flaming fire, when he comes back in verse 11 on his white horse, amen, to catch up his bride at the end of the tribulation, we read this. Let us rejoice. Guess what that Greek word is? Cairo. Celebrate. Rejoice. And be glad. And give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is a righteous act of the saints. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. You've been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. In fact, you're the bride. You're going to be with Christ forever and ever. Amen. Not in a physical sexual relationship. That's a picture of something far more powerful, far more beautiful. It's a, it's, it's, a meta, it's a metaphorical picture of a spiritual reality that blows away human relationships. Amen? And the question is, do you know Jesus Christ? Are you saved? The Bible says that Jesus died for your sins, paid the penalty for your sins on the cross, because we've all sinned, we've all done bad, and that he rose again and conquered death in the grave. Amen? And that if we put our trust in him, he'll give us the gift of eternal life. For Paul said, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, he says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he went on to say a little bit later, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have not been saved yet from your sins, be humble and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And admit that you're a sinner. Just admit it. Quit going like this to Jesus, man. Because you're going to do this t- so many times that you're going to end up in hell eventually. You don't know when you're going to die. Open up your heart and say, God, have mercy on me so you can be forgiven this day. Why would you reject the free gift of eternal life? Receive eternal salvation now. Amen. Turn from that road of darkness and repent and turn to Christ. Amen. And receive the free gift of salvation. Do that now, I encourage you. Let's all stand as they pass out the cup and the bread.